All right, uh, lift off and the clock has started. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Discovery, go at throttle up. And lift off, the final lift off of Atlantis on the shoulders of the space shuttle. America will continue the dream. This is The Space Shot, episode 386, Ripley Rides in a Crew Dragon, VSS Unity, New Shepard, Stainless Starship, and Strata Launch. It's a commercial space roundup. I'm John Mulnix. Welcome back, everyone. In this episode, we're catching up on some commercial space news. Between Strata Launch, Virgin Galactic, SpaceX, Blue Origin, and some commercial crew news, there's a lot that's happened in the past month and a half. Before we get into some commercial crew updates, I do have a bit of space history. Apollo 9 lifted off from Launch Complex 39A, which is now used by SpaceX, on March 3, 1969. This Saturn V rocket carried astronauts Jim McDivitt, the commander, David Scott, the command module pilot, and Rusty Schweikert, the lunar module pilot, on a 10-day mission. Apollo 9 was meant to test the combined command and service module with the lunar module in Earth orbit. This mission was the first time a crew piloted the lunar module. One of the tests for the lunar module involved firing the descent engine, while Gumdrop, the CSM, and Spider, the lunar module, were docked. There's a great write-up on this entire mission, which I'm linking to in the show notes, and here's an interesting passage from that book. Quote, McDivitt then operated the small thrusters to get the docked vehicles into the correct position for firing the lunar module's throttleable descent propulsion system. Seconds after starting the large descent engine, McDivitt shouted, Look at that attitude ball. My God, we hardly have any errors. 26 seconds later, at full thrust, he reported that the errors were still practically non-existent. In fact, things were going so smoothly that halfway through the 371.5 second exercise, the commander felt hungry. Not an uncommon sensation with him. So he ate before crawling back into the command module. Schweikert stayed behind to shut everything down and to straighten up the cabin before joining the others in gumdrop. The lander appeared to be a dependable machine. Dependability for the lunar module was absolutely essential, because if there was any issues with that machine, astronauts could get stuck on the lunar surface. The legacy of Apollo will live on as humans push out further into space. Now, let's get into some commercial space news. First off, we're talking about a company I haven't mentioned in a while. Strato Launch has suspended development of their launch vehicles and engines, which is a sad development that comes after the death of Paul Allen. Allen was one of the co-founders of Microsoft, and he used some of his fortune to develop the Strata Launch system. Allen passed away in October of 2018, and all I can hope for is that the beautiful Strata Launch aircraft, which has a wingspan longer than a football field, will be able to fly and launch rockets, fulfilling his dream. The orbital ATK, now Northrop Grumman Pegasus rocket, will be able to fly from Strato Launch. Interestingly, the Stratolaunch aircraft will be able to take off with three Pegasus rockets at a time. As of 2019, there are still no concrete plans for launching rockets from Stratolaunch. 
An interesting historical note is that SpaceX and Strata Launch ended a partnership in 2012 that would have seen a air-launched Falcon 9 rocket launch from Strata Launch. The Falcon 9 Air was an unbuilt Falcon 9 configuration, and it would have launched from the Strata Launch aircraft. It's interesting to see how the fortunes of these two companies have been so drastically different over the past seven years. SpaceX has gone on to develop and prove reusability for the Falcon 9 versus Strata Launch, which is now abandoning their launch vehicle technology and focusing solely on the Strata Launch aircraft. Whatever happens over the coming years, we wish all the best to the Strata Launch team. Next up, let's chat about Virgin Galactic and Spaceship 2. On February 22, 2019, Spaceship 2, or VSS Unity, launched into space for the second time. Now, before we go any further, let's chat about the altitude that's considered the boundary of space. The Kármán line lies at an altitude of 100 kilometers, or 62 miles, above Earth's sea level. This is used as the benchmark for space record-keeping and international space treaties. The United States considers 80 kilometers, or 50 miles, as the boundary for space, and anyone that travels above this altitude is awarded astronaut wings. Virgin Galactic's VSS Unity reached an altitude of 55.87 miles, or 89.9 kilometers, during this second space flight. Dave McKay, now the first Scottish-born astronaut, Mike Such, Masucci, and Beth Moses became the 569th, 570th, and 571st people to travel into space. Expect the number of people to travel into space to increase dramatically over the coming decade as companies like Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic launch passengers on suborbital flights into space. Speaking of Blue Origin, Jeff Bezos was touting the altitude advantage of the new Shepard launch vehicle over Virgin Galactic's Spaceship 2. A new Shepard capsule launched on January 23, 2019, as part of a test program that's leading up to Blue Origin's launch of humans later this year. Bezos is noted in a SpaceNews.com article as saying that, quote, We've always had as our mission that we wanted to fly above the Kármán line because we didn't want there to be any asterisks next to your name about whether you're an astronaut or not. It's interesting to see Bezos throwing some rocket-powered shade at Virgin Galactic. As for the specific launch date for the human New Shepard mission, Bezos hopes to fly it later this year. Since we're on the topic of human spaceflights, there's some big news for SpaceX and Crew Dragon. At 2.49 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on March 2, 2019, SpaceX launched the Crew Dragon spacecraft for the first time. The Demo-1 mission, as it's called, was uncrewed, but it has laid the foundation for the upcoming Demo-2 flight, which will carry two astronauts to the International Space Station. Also of note, the first stage of the Falcon 9 landed on the drone ship Of Course I Still Love You after this launch, making the number of successful Falcon 9 landings tick up to over 50%, or 35 of 69 attempts. I stayed up late to watch the joint NASA and SpaceX webcast, and it was totally worth a loss of sleep. The webcast started about 50 minutes before launch, so this was a much more involved webcast than the regular SpaceX press events that we're used to watching. One of the things that stuck out to me was watching the difference in cultures between NASA and SpaceX employees. I have to say it was a palpable difference between the two. 
I'm not sure if I'm reading into this too much, but I wanted to point it out anyways because the difference was so striking. Crew Dragon successfully docked with the ISS earlier this morning, completing another part of its historic journey. Soft capture took place at 5.51 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on March 3rd. This is the first time an American spacecraft has performed an automated docking with the International Space Station. Crew Dragon docked at the International Docking Adapter, which was delivered by a SpaceX Cargo Dragon during the CRS-9 mission in 2016. Crew Dragon departs the International Space Station on Friday, March 8th. Be sure to follow the Space Shot on Facebook for more updates throughout this mission. Let's stay with SpaceX here for a little bit. They're moving along with the construction of Starship Hopper, which is a test subject much like the Falcon 9 Grasshopper, or Falcon 9R, rockets which launched a few years ago. A windstorm damaged the upper portion of this test vehicle for the stainless Starship, which has put SpaceX a bit behind in their schedule, but they're moving fast on a replacement. The design of SpaceX's Starship has also radically changed, with the company moving from a carbon fiber construction to stainless steel. A sweating regenerative heat shield that's cooled by methane will help protect Starship's stainless steel hull when it re-enters Earth's atmosphere. Moving forward with stainless steel is a much more cost-effective option, especially when considered to the cost of carbon fiber. There's some other technical benefits to using stainless steel, and I'll be sure to link to a couple articles that go into that in more detail in the show notes. Since we're on the subject of SpaceX, I do have some related news. I've been kicking around the idea of a SpaceX-focused podcast for the past year, and now that crew launches are due to start here soon, I think it's the perfect time to launch this new podcast. More details will be out soon, and I am working on getting some co-hosts from the SpaceX community online, and I know we're going to have a blast with these episodes. Last up for today, we head to Launch Complex 20, On February 22nd, 2019, Firefly Aerospace announced that they are leasing Launch Complex 20 at Cape Canaveral Air Force Station to launch their Alpha and Beta rockets. Firefly Aerospace is also expanding to a 150,000 square foot facility at Kennedy Space Center's Exploration Park. Firefly will join Blue Origin's new Glenn Rocket Factory at Kennedy Space Center. It's incredible how many commercial companies are now utilizing those facilities. Revitalization of the Space Coast is in full swing, and I'm excited to see so many commercial entities and NASA working together to help push the boundaries of what's possible with spaceflight, especially human spaceflight. In the coming months, we'll see the return of human launches to American soil, breaking an eight-year-long streak with no crewed launches. Here's to successful Starliner and Crew Dragon tests later this year. Over the past few weeks, I've had to reschedule some podcast interviews due to my youngest sister being in the hospital. She's at home now and is doing a lot better, but her chronic illness has made it difficult for her to do a lot of things that all of us take for granted. Thank you to everyone that's sent along best wishes during this time. I really don't like talking about it, but in this case, it has been serious enough that I did want to give an update. I have some great interviews coming up later this month. I'm talking with author Rod Pyle about his latest book, Space 2.0, How Private Spaceflight, a Resurgent NASA, and International Partners are Creating a New Space Age. I'm also going to chat with author Robert Curson about his book, Rocketmen, The Daring Odyssey of Apollo 8, and The Astronauts Who Made Man's First Journey to the Moon, for the next episode of the Cosmosphere podcast. 
Also, we do have a call-in number now for the Space Shot if you'd like to ask a question or leave a comment. Just call 720-772-7988 and leave a message. As always, links to everything we've talked about today are in the show notes. If you're new to the podcast or if you've listened for a while, I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe and leave a review iTunes reviews help more people find out about the show, and they help make sure the podcast reaches as many listeners as possible. Until next time, I'm John Mulnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.